will continue from where we stopped uh, last week, still looking at um, before the Acts 2-3. We had said last week that our study is going to be broken into three parts. Uh, the prophecy or the promises or proclamation that God has made concerning each and every one of us regarding our having his nature. The second one we said is the principles or the provision or procedure or process that he has put in place that will enable us to manifest the divine nature. And the third one, the practice or the end product of the prophecy and the principle in our lives. That is our manifesting divine nature. Don't forget that we, we raise the issue of the disciple being able to live the life of Christ. And we said that for that disciple to be able to live the life of Christ, he must of necessity have the nature of Christ. That's where we, that's where we, we, we began. And we made it clear that we are not just speaking from our head. From the word of God, the Lord has prophesied about this. Spoken about it both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And we have seen that indeed it is so. Now we want to go to the second stage of our discussion, which is the principles or the provision that God has made or the procedure or process that is required for us to have the divine nature. But before we begin to discuss that, I want to speak about a preamble, a very crucial preamble, as the Spirit of the Lord impressed it on my heart earlier today. There are three principal kinds of gatherings that many people call the church. The first one is a cult. The second one is a club. The third one is the true church of God. Now, when you look at these three, they all have purposes. All of them have purposes. A cult has its purposes. The club has its purposes. The church has its own purpose also. But there's a difference. In the cult, you have one man and his cronies giving their own purpose or their agenda to that group. That's a cult. So basically, a cult is authoritarian. It has one man at the helm who decides what the uh, purpose or the agenda of that group will be and then gives it to them and they must run with it. Otherwise, they are sanctioned. Then there's the club. The club is more egalitarian. The club permits everybody to bring their agenda in. Now, you and I will not go to a club. After a while, we will leave the club. Because we will think that, I mean, this is too authoritarian. And we will get out of the place. But the club is, is, is more subtle. The club is a place where we all gather. We all have our own various purposes and agenda. And because it is egalitarian, the person at the helm of the club gathers each of our purposes and tries to feed them in. Now, the interesting thing about a club is that God is also taking account of in the club. In the cult, they may consider God or they may not consider him. But in the club, God is actually considered. So what they do in the club is that they try to meet each person's needs, each person's purpose and agenda. Now, after a while, somebody will be pricked in his conscience that, wait a minute, we, we have been considering our purposes, we have not considered the purpose of God. So they, in the club, they will apologize to God and bring his purpose to the front burner. I say, okay, let's put our purposes aside. Let's bring the purpose of God out. So what does God want? He wants us to evangelize. So they say, for the next one week, we are going to evangelize. And then we evangelize for the next one. And then we come back into the club. And, well, the, the leader of the club says, well, we have met God's need for, the, for that one week. We have evangelized. Is that not so? Good. Now, 
God, please take a back seat. Then we bring our own purposes back and we begin to follow. It's an egalitarian system. It helps us because we're happy with it. At least our needs are met. Is that not so? And again, God's needs are met. I think somehow. Maybe sometimes after some, after some months or even a, a few years and uh, we feel that God is not, maybe the purposes are not being met, needs are not being met. We again say, oh, we forgot God. Let's bring him back. What does he want us to do? Let's pray. It's prayer he needs now. So we pray. Or sometimes we, we have we have a program for one week, a praise week, where we just praise him. Sometimes with songs that will glorify him. Sometimes we just bring our songs. I mean, we do whatever we want to do. We believe that we have met his needs, and then we put him to the backside again. And what do we do? We bring our purposes back. That's a clear. But the church of God has only one purpose. That purpose is the purpose of God. No man can create that purpose. No man can cover that. That purpose is stated in the word of God. It comes under one umbrella to glorify God. But it may have different branches. But the purpose is essential to glorify God. Now, in the true church, whoever is the leader or the body of leaders, as, it may, as, as the case may be, take their instruction directly from God. So when they come, they speak only what God says they should speak. They declare to the body what God has said they should declare. Whatever their purposes and agendas were, is killed. Do you understand that? So, in the true church, the individuals in the true church do not have a purpose of their own. Now, that's a very tough one. Because each one of us, we have our own purposes. Now, it is very crucial because it forms the basis on what we are going to be discussing today. For the true church of God to exist, therefore, every individual that makes up the true church of God must get themselves to the place where their own agenda are destroyed. Do you understand? Not put aside. Like the club will put aside their own agenda and then bring God's agenda. Afterwards, they pack God's, uh, God's own aside after their own. In the true church of God, there's nothing like that. There's only one agenda. God is that agenda. Every other agenda is put aside. Now, besides, it's not, it's not put aside, it's killed. So, before you can be a part of the church of God, in the real essence of the world, you must have no agenda of your own. So, let us open our discussion this evening with John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And I'm going to be reading from verse 1 through to verse 8. And then we'll read verse 16. John chapter 15, verse 1 to 8, and then verse 16. I'm reading from the NKJV. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Have you seen it there? The Father is glorified. 
when we are bearing much fruit. And when we are bearing much fruit, our, our, the, the, our prayers are answered. Right? Okay. Verse 16 now of John 15. You did not choose me. This is a very crucial thing. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. To make this discussion complete, let's at this time read Romans chapter 11 verse 17. So that when we are having this discussion, we can have a fuller sense of it. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. It's actually a continuous thing. Then I'm going to explain this, and then we'll go back to discussing John 15. Here, the Bible is saying about the Gentiles who have become born again, you and I, that is, that we were of a wild olive, a wild olive tree, and that God came and caught us off that wild olive tree, removed Israel from the um, good olive tree, and then grafted us into that place, right? With this understanding, let's now transpose it with John 15. So we go back to John 15. Bearing in mind, the fact that we are now discussing a branch. Now, in John 15, there are three principles mentioned in John 15. The first principle is the true vine, Jesus Christ. The second principle is the father, the vine dresser or the gardener, also the owner of the vine. The third principle are the branches, you and It's crucial that we understand each principle in this because it ties in with the story, what, what I told you at the beginning, difference between the cult, the club, and the true church. In a cult, for example, there's no vine dressing. Do you understand? There's a vine, but not a true vine. The vine is whoever is the head of that cult. And the spirit backing him up is the one nurturing him. That's the vine dresser. The branches are the members that have come to nestle under the cult leader. So that such a man can tell you, like we hear in South Africa, that people are eating cloth, eating snake, eating all kinds of things because the man says they should do. Or like a case that we heard of in one so-called church in Nigeria here, where a, a, a woman had gone to that church, I think she was a, a new guest or something, and the, the leader of the church called her forward and said he wants to demonstrate the power of God with that woman. And they poured kerosene on the woman and said well, they would strike the fire and she would not catch fire. They struck the fire and by the time they realized what, what was happened, the woman was half burnt. Only if something is wrong with you, will you listen to such a person? How come the man did not demonstrate that fire will not cut with himself? And say, pour the kerosene on me and strike the man. Why pick on a new guest? Perhaps the members know that it, none of them would accept. But they have seen somebody who has run there for problem and they want to meet the leader and they know that that woman will do whatever they want them to do. Now, in the case of a club, you, there, are no, there is no vine at all. What you have are just branches. Because everyone has a purpose. And there's these branches suddenly realize that, wait a minute, we don't have a vine. So, once in a while, they remember the vine dresser and beg him and say, oh, come down through vine and let us attach ourselves on their own terms. But with the true church, there's a vine dresser. There's a true vine. And all the members are branches. Now, if we add that with what we, did, what we saw in Romans 11:17, the members are actually branches taken from another vine. 
And this true vine is incised. They cut it to permit this wild branch to be attached to it. And when you are doing grafting like that, when you attach it, you bind, you have to bind the branch to the vine. The cord with which we are bound to this vine is the love of God. It is that cord that binds us. So we say, what can separate us from the love of God? Is it angels? Is it sickness? What is it? Because that cord actually keeps us there. Now, this is what happened. Remember I said, you did not choose me. I chose you. So he goes into the forest, looks at a branch, and says, let's put that branch in the vine. So when they have decided which branch they are going to take, they first of all go and cut an incision in the true vine. It's precious bleeding side, and the sap is oozing out. Then they go into the forest and cut out that wild branch and bring it to this side that is bleeding now. Attach it with the cords of love. And as that is attached, the, the sap that was coming out of it now begins to enter into this branch to push out the wild sap that was in it and cause it to bring forth leaves that are akin or like that of the, that should come out from that vine and then produce the fruit. We're going to read scriptures on this, but let me just say it as it is. We're going to read the scriptures to back it up. The only way we can tell if this uh, what do you call it now? This grafting process has actually been effective is when we see the fruit. The fruit must not be poisonous. The fruit must be good. Which is what we are going to see later. The scripture where the Lord said, make the tree good and its fruit will be good. Make the tree evil and its fruit will be evil. For by the fruit we shall know that we cannot tell whether a branch is effective or not until we see the kind of fruit it is produced. So, let's go back to John 15 now. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what does it do? Why is that branch being taken away? Is it because it's bad? Because we can't tell if the branch is good or bad. Remember, it is only by their fruit that you can tell. But this branch has not produced fruit at all. So why is it, taking, why is it being taken away? Because it does not want to produce fruit. It is unproductive. And so it takes it away. Now if you go to a vine, a vineyard, you see there are a lot of, there are lot, I think I've discussed this, I've told us before. You see the vine dresser, he goes about with a, a snip. There's a lot of cutting taking place in a vineyard. And then you will see because the branches are all twisted, crawling on something. You will see amongst these branches, some dried out branches. But nobody pulls them away. Because in pulling them away, you may injure the attached branches, they just leave them there until when they finally harvest the branches that are producing them, they can pull out those things. But besides that, you also have on the, on the ground a lot of dried out branches. So once in a while, the, the hands in the vineyard will come and gather those ones on the ground, bunch them together for the fire. So let's bring it to the story I told that again. When they have bunched these dried branches together, one branch that feels that it is bigger than the others, will now begin to discuss with them. There's a purpose in God for us. He doesn't know that they're taking him to the fire. Do you understand? But it has gathered people. He's not the head of that, of that bunch. He doesn't know why they bunched them together. They are all dry. Not one has produced fruit. But they have organized themselves. They call themselves so-so-and-so church of God. They don't know that they are going to, into hell. Then some other time, you have some other branches that come together. And those branches say, look, 
Let's have an egalitarian society. You know, when we were in divine, the dictation was too much. Divine was telling us what to do. And we have been called to, what have we been called? We've been called to liberty, not to bondage. I mean, why should we be attached to someone? And So now that, meanwhile, they, they don't know that they've also been bound together for fire. So each of them say, no, 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 we don't want a head over us. We want each person to come up with an agenda. So they are discussing the agenda en route to fire. That's the plot. So that happens in it. All of them are aware. In the, they are in the media. But what they are being bunched for is different. The bottom line is that these two are not attached to the vine. It is crucial. You cannot have the nature of Christ except you are attached to Christ. You can go to church for the next 60 years of your life and just be in the vineyard, dry, unproductive. So the branches that are being cut off are being cut off because they are not bearing fruit. Remember the fig tree that the Lord cursed. Why did he curse the fig tree? Why, why did he curse the fig tree? What was the reason why he cursed the fig tree? It had no fruit. But it had leaves. And I, I'm, sure, I'm sure we've discussed what leaves are. We've mentioned that leaves are the works that we do. Sweeping the church, um, playing keyboard, setting up this one, preaching the sermon, going out at an evangelist. Those are all leaves. You better understand that. There's nothing wrong with having leaves. But as far as God is concerned, the issue is not with the leaves. Anybody can do leaf work. The issue is what? The fruit, which, is, which determines the nature. Let me give you... Let me paint an illustration for you. I don't think there's anybody here who would keep a, fr- a fruit tree in his compound that is producing fruit that can kill human beings. Do you know anybody that will keep that? More so when he has children. Do you know anybody that will keep such a tree? What do you do to such a tree? You cut it down. It is not that the tree cannot provide shade because it has leaves. But the danger is that the children one day while standing under that shade could stretch their hands and pluck a fruit that will kill them. So you don't keep such a tree in your, in your yard. Because it is going to produce dangerous fruit that will kill. But in this case, every branch in it that does not bear fruit. This one is not bearing fruit at all. We are going to look at what that fruit is. Right? So, we are talking of branches that are doing works but not bearing fruit. Having the form of godliness but denying its power. They are cut off. They are not retained. They are just wasting space. They are removed. Now, then it says, and every, verse 2 says, and every branch that bears fruit, he does what? He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Remember I told you, I said they have this snip in the vineyard. Now the snip can cut and it can prune. What it does is that it looks at a, a branch that this branch is, it, it is beginning, it, it beginning to bring some fruit. So it begins to remove some excesses that may be disturbing the fruit. Sometimes they have so many, so many leaves. The leaves are drawing from the sap. Instead of sending the sap to the fruit. So he removes some of those things. And then sometimes the, 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 the body is scaled. So it scales off those things. Some other times the leaves unnecessarily cover the fruit from receiving the sunlight and other things that will make it to blossom. So, it, so there is a lot of trimming taking place in that regard. So sometimes God can limit your church activity so that you can produce the fruit of his nature. Remember, his focus is what now? The fruit, not so much the leaves. But he can, also, he, he can also make do with the leaves. However, where the leaf is obstructing the production of fruit, the leaf must go. Do you understand? 
So sometimes God will give you a time when he, will, he can tell you to cease from doing activity and remain quiet in him so that he can produce the necessary fruit of his nature in your life. Do you understand that? So the pruning could actually be reduction in preaching activities for a preacher. Reduction in a lot of church work. It could even come in form of suspension. Whom the Lord loves, what does he do? He disciplines. So it may take the form of a suspension and the person will think, oh, they are doing, no, they are, nobody has done you anything wrong. All that God required was remove yourself from activity so that you can focus on because what is important to God is the production of fruit. He says that it may bear more. So you've been producing a little bit of fruit, but it's not as much as is, as is expected of you. So you are given a rest so that you can bear more fruit. Let's skip verse 3. It says, you are already clean because of the word. They were clean. They were already, because some, you have to clean the, 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 the branch also. Now the word, is, the word is there. Each time we gather like this, we hear the word of God. What does, what does it do? It, it washes us. When you are at home and you pick the Bible to read, what does it do? It washes you. When you are walking and you are praying in the Spirit and the Holy Spirit brings a scripture to you and you begin to recite the scripture, what does it do? It's cleansing. Do you understand that? So that work of sanctification is taking place pari pasu. Then in verse 5, it says, abide in me. What other word can we use for abide? Dwell or stay or remain. Why does he use the word abide? Why does he say remain? Because it is possible for you. Now you get your leg. You can walk away. Say, remain in me. Many of us are in church, but we have walked away from Christ. We have walked on to fables. We have walked on to idolatry. We have walked on to all manner of things. But we are in church. Looking at you, we only see leaves. We are going to discuss the matter of fruit later. And sometimes, because we see this, we assume, remember that was the point, the Lord saw that fig tree with leaves and expected to find fruit. So we assume that having seen leaves with this guy, we should see fruit. But then we don't see. Now imagine us being disappointed, not talk of God. So he says, remain in me. And if you remain in him, what will, what will happen? He will remain in you. How does the Lord remain in you? By supplying you with sap. That sap is actually the life of God. We are going to look, that, look at that, I think. Two, three weeks from now. It's actually the life of God going through you, pushing away, cutting away all the wildness that you came into. You know, the wildness was not removed. You were cut fresh from the and, and attacked immediately with love. So that sap is coming there to push away the wildness. Sometimes the old leaves that came in will become yellow and fall off, and then new ones come to show the kind of leaf that that vine will have. So it says. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. This is very crucial. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in... That branch must stay attached. We are powering this place with some of this equipment with this switch. If we switch it off, even though it is attached and we switch it off, what will happen to the power? Everything will go off. Let's even assume it is still on and then we just remove that socket. What happens? It goes off also. So it's saying remain there. Remain plugged because power is always moving through me. You don't know whether there's power in anything until you plug it on and you switch it on. Then you see that the other things are power. But it looks like it doesn't have power. So you remain attached to Christ and you will be fruitful. This is important because this matter of fruit bearing is not by effort. I want, to, I want you to let me state that now before we get to the crucial part. It is not by your effort. It is a simple procedure 
of allowing the life of Christ to flow through you. So, what is your role in all of this? It is to give permission to the life of Christ to flow through you. That is your own role. We use another word to describe it in Christianese. We call it yieldedness. We say you are yielded. Anybody who is yielded to Christ, his life will flow through him and he will be producing fruit. Do you understand now? It is a natural process. No effort is required on your part. The only thing that is, that is asked of you is what? Remain attached. Again, why does it say remain attached? Because there are distractions that can detach you. It could be a job. It could be a desire. A desire for marriage. A desire for children. A desire to build a house. A desire to buy a car. It could be family pressure. So he's saying regardless of all these things, what should you do? Remain attached. That's the only way you're going to produce fruit. Now, should you detach yourself? Can you be fruitful? So while you are chasing after money, chasing after property, chasing after marriage, chasing after children, running from one church to the other, what is happening to your life? You have detached. You are already going dry. You don't know. That's why you're running all over the place. Your life is unstable. The Bible says that the, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let that man not think that he's going to get anything from God. So it is crucial that the believer is stable in the vine. In verse 5, he reiterates, he says, I am the vine, you are the... Don't make a mistake, you are not a vine. No matter how thick you may seem to be. To, to, to tell people to attach themselves to you, you want to kill those people, ask you are going to kill yourself. So those people who are busy saying, I'm praying in the name of the God of Bishop so-so-and-so, you know, the God of Pastor so-and-so, they are turning the pastor into the vine, and they are branches to that vine. In effect, that vine has been, you cannot have two vines. There's only one vine. So you have something that is in somewhere else. If you are not careful, what has happened there is a cult has taken place. Do you understand that now? A cult inadvertently has sprung up there. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do Now, let us understand what it means you can do nothing. You can actually walk signs and wonders, but they are false signs and wonders. You can actually pray, but God is not hearing that prayer. You can sweat, you can shout, you can, you can actually build an auditorium. You can effectively have a church of millions all over the world. You can have churches, you can do, you can do all those things. But the reason why it says you can do nothing is because you are not doing anything that God considers as something. Zero times one million equals what? So it doesn't matter what you do. If the multiplier effect, the multiplier factor rather, is zero, it is zero. That's how God sees it. That the moment you are not attached to him, everything you are doing is multiplied by zero. No matter how great it is. So it is the divine nature that enables your works to be considered good works. In the absence of the divine nature, your works are considered dead works. Do you understand? So that's what Christ meant by you can do nothing. Because everything you do is dead. Then in verse 6 says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is what? Cast out as a branch, thrown away, and is withered. Now, some of us have thought that having many people in a building effectively means that this branch is fruitful. No. Later we'll see what, we'll see what this fruit really is. 
The fruit is not so much the souls of men. Because each soul that comes in must be bearing fruit himself. So it's not so much how many people are gathered, but how fruitful are the gathered people. Do you understand that? Okay. Now it says, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burnt. Remember what the illustration I gave you about the bunching? They don't know that they are going into fire. They think a new group is forming and they are happy. But they are on their way to hell. What is crucial when we talk of abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us is the word of God. A lot of us are copying what we saw elsewhere. Oh, I saw this in this church. Let's try it in our church. I saw this in that church. You don't, did God tell you to try it? Does God even tell you to try anything? God tells you to do something, not try. But we say we can try it in our church. It's going to be this, it's going to be nice, it's going to be this. And then we start trying all kinds of things and we run into trouble. In John chapter, in, in verse 7 of John 15, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. We all have needs at one point in time or the other. But this is a very tricky part. Don't forget what we said at the beginning. In the true church, what happens to everybody in that church? What has happened to their desires? It has been killed. So they really have no desire of their own. So please, what desire is this now? It's desire of God. Because you are now attached to the vine, whatever desire you have is of God. And God will do it. Do you understand? So if you wake up and you suddenly have a desire that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God, do you think your prayer will, meet, will, will, will be answered on that desire? He cannot. You cannot. God cannot break his word. He's not going to break it for anything. Now, if that prayer were answered, I venture to say with every boldness in me that God did not answer that prayer. Something else happened, but it's not God that answered that prayer. And then we see in verse 8, it says, by this my father is glorified. By what? This whole process of you're being attached, you're receiving the life, and you're bearing much fruit. The Father is what glorified. Remember what I said. What is the sole purpose of the church, of the true church? To glorify. So, as long as the individuals in that local assembly are fruitful, are they fulfilling God's purpose? Yes. And it says that, that by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my... Have you seen the issue of discipleship now? A disciple is a fruit bearer. You cannot mention somebody as a disciple when he is not bearing fruit. As long as he is not bearing fruit, he is not a disciple. By their fruit, you shall know them. Now, verse 16. And then we'll leave this portion and move to one or two other things. John 15, 16. You did not choose me. I've discussed this already. But I chose you and appointed you or ordained you or apportioned unto you your assignment, your appointment, your ministry is that you should go and do what? Bear fruit. Now, it is this going to bear fruit that many of us believe is about evangelism. But the going is that you will grow to bear fruit. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just my expression. That's my understanding of this. It has nothing to do with going out to win souls. Those are leaves. The, the going forth to bear fruit is having the nature of God. That is important. And that your fruit should remain. Some of us, have, we used to have the nature of Christ last year. But it hasn't remained. When we were newly born again, we had the nature of Christ. Some of us. But after some time, we have become so used to church, so used to God, so used to his word, we are no longer bearing. We have actually become more worldly than when we were first born again, when we were spiritual. We see it in many churches. 
after people have spent five, ten years in a church, some don't even spend that long in a church, they suddenly you begin to wonder what is going on. In some churches where ordination is a major deal, people are hardworking, people are serving God, whether for good purposes or not, I don't know. But suddenly they are ordained, and what happens? They just, it's as if that ordination took something away from their life. And then they now sit, settle down with the ordination and do nothing else. But Paul said, I forget, I put behind me all those things of the past and I press forward for the upward call of God. That's upward call to heaven. That's my focus. And that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. When you are a fruit bearer, when you are bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit, you will pray for souls and souls will be brought in. Do you understand? You pray for revival and revival will take place. Many of our prayers are so carnal that they cannot even be from people who are bearing fruit. A fruit bearer has a prayer life that is so focused on God that God is more than eager to answer his prayers. Now let's quickly look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Remember, remain in me and I in you. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. When that fruit, when that sap is entering the branch, what is it doing? It's creating that branch and is making it new. Because whatever was its old nature has what? Been removed. So that's what he's saying there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's created anew. We, we saw that in our scripture text, which is still the scripture text from, from last week. Ephesians chapter 4, I think verse 24 or so, 23 and 24, that says that we are created in God, in, in, in true holiness and righteousness. It's a new creation. You are created anew. And then it goes on to say, all things have what? Have been pushed out. Your old desire, your old nature. That old nature brought old desire, brought desires. I hope you know that. That nature brought wrong desires. That nature brought ambitions. Brought all manner of desires. With, when Christ is in you, those desires are done what? Pushed away. They are dead. They are killed. They are taken away. Behold. The word behold actually means what? Look. Look. So what they are saying is, we, it can be seen. Look. In that level, all things have become what? New. Look at him. That ambition of wanting to become president has died. That ambition to become CEO of a company has died. What is he asking for now? Lord, what would you have me to do? When Saul of Tarsus met the Lord, his, his own was such a radical transformation, it, it makes for a case study for the believer. That instant moment, what was he asking? What would you have me to do? That instant moment, the Sanhedrin doctrine died. His mission to Damascus, what happened to that mission? He changed. That mission, he was not going there again for any Christian. This time around, what was his mission now in the, when he was in Damascus? What was he doing? He was preaching and arguing with the Jews who knew that he had brought letters to capture that this Christ is the very, this Jesus is the very Christ. The former purpose died. He didn't say, I need to return to Jerusalem to tell them I have been born again. Did he say that? That purpose died there and then. He was a new man completely. Something is wrong with the way we are getting born again these days. It seems we are doing God a favor. A man, a man has not preached anything about salvation. He spoke about how you make money. He spoke about how you become great. He spoke about this and then he said, if you want to give your life to Christ, say this prayer after me. What did he say? 
to tell that person what Christ did. No, he didn't say anything. But he wanted to give a life to Christ. He said after me. After he had said it on TV, I, if you said a prayer after me, I want to assure you you are born again. Yeah. What is going on with us? Are we so are we so hungry for this born again, born again that we can tell people that they are born again when when you haven't even seen the fellow? Some churches don't even do Bible study at all to tell the fellow what happened to him as salvation. When we went out today, we met a few people. I met one fellow who went to the church. So I said to him that, ah, where are you going to say going to church? So, do you go to church? I said, hey, you go to church. He mentioned him. I don't want to mention him on the church. Mention him on the church. I said, and you, you didn't go to church. He said, well, um, you know, uh, no, 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 no. So do you, what, what, what? So I told him, I said, do you understand what the church is? Have you start telling him what it is? It is the family of God. We are children of the same God. And we gather once a week, twice a week, or depending on the number of times we accept once we have to hear from our Father. If God is the Father, are you not going to be excited to gather with your brothers and sisters? And I don't understand this church uh, thing that we must have five, four services, five services, six services. What is the, what is the hunger for five services? What is it for? Some people now decide that well, I'm going for ten services, I'm going for four services. So they will play, oh, then go for one service. And the service, because of the number of services, one hour, fifteen minutes. Yeah. Are we are we producing fast food? Is that as American fast food is all junk? So it means that we eat junk food that we had junk bonds that didn't amount to anything. They were bonds that people were buying that were worth nothing. So if we have junk food, they are worth nothing. They are just junk. That's what the word junk means. So, so we're having all kinds of people who say they are born again. And when you behold, you know what it says there? Behold, all things have become. When you behold, do you see anything new? Nothing. So what happened? It was either that branch was never cut off while he remained there. Nobody cut it off. He just assumed that because he had the fresh air of church, he is now a Christian. He asked people, what, what, what does it mean to be born again? So, well, what it means to be born again is that, uh, you know, as you are now born again, it means that you can now pray. God in the form of all kinds of reasons. What kinds of things are mean born again? And I'm wondering, I asked one, one person some time back, I said, are you born again? Yes, he's born again. I said, what does it mean to be born again? He said, well, all, 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 all I know is that anytime I pray, God answers my prayer. That's what it means to be born again. I'm, I'm amazed. And the thing is saying that God is answering prayers is not, has nothing to do with spiritual things. It's about meeting me. And I keep telling people, when they come up with it, ah, God gives me money, God gives me house, God gives me this. I them, have you seen a Muslim? That, have you seen all Muslims that all Muslims are poor? They say, no. So who gave them money? Why do we come up with all kinds of things that God has not spoken about. Behold, all things have become new. All things about that person have become new. Why? A change. What's that song? They say, a great change. Let's sing that song now. There's a great change since I met God. What's that song now? Since I met God. Great change since I met God. There's a great change since I met God. There must be a great, not a small change. Uh-huh. The things I could do, I do them no more. Things I used to do, I do them no more. Things I used to do, I do them no more. There's a great change. There must be a change. A friend of mine, many years ago, after I became born again, he said to me, he said, hey, I envy you. He said, what? He said, you, people can see that you are born again. But people like myself, people didn't go to parties. All those things you used to do, I didn't do that. So I have a problem understanding whether I'm born again or not. That I think at, at that time, we were all young men. Today we know better. Because even though you didn't do those things, there were some other things that you used to do that were carnal. For example, you took decisions on your own. But when you are born again, you can't do that. Jesus has become law. You know, I, I, I'm amazed at many of these adverts we see on TV. Oh, 
you come for this program, miracles, signs, and wonders, they will do this, they will be singing, there will be great joy, there will be miracles, there will be peace, your life will never be the same again, and then they start bringing the names of the people who are ministers. I don't want to call names. This person, this person, Jesus. That person, that person, great anointing. That person, that person, comedian for Jesus. And all kinds of, they will line up all those things. At the end of it all, and ministering, you know, you know I say, ministering in partnership with the Holy Spirit, the great man of God, his name will come first. Then they will not promote entertainers. This person, musician, that person, that person, that person, comedians, drama, and then at the end of it, you hear, Jesus is. Jesus and you put all those things in. And you ask them, why they are, so that they will not sleep. If Jesus was Lord, you wouldn't put all those things so that they will not sleep. Let them sleep. They didn't need to be there in the first. So we do all kinds of things and we run into trouble. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, and 19 to 25, we are going to see this matter of fruit. Remember I said we are going to discuss fruit in some, in some detail. In Galatians 5, 16, it says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lost or the desire of the So what is the solution to not being carnal? Walking in the spirit. What does this word walk in the spirit? What does it really mean for me? It's saying do yourself in submission, subjection to the leading of the Holy Spirit. To walk in the spirit is to allow the spirit of God to dictate to you what you should be doing. In other words, how to conduct yourself. Allow the Spirit of God to do those things in you. Remember, the nature of God, one thing is to have the nature of God, another thing is to be able to live as God wants you to live. You need the Spirit of God in you to now help you. Do you understand? A lot of times, the nature of God is there, but we have not submitted to the Spirit of God to lead and direct us. You couldn't obey God without the Holy Spirit, without the nature of God being in you, right? But now that the nature of God is in you, you need to understand that there is a spirit that is speaking to you. Now you must know how the spirit speaks. You must know what he can tell, tell you to do. If you don't know the spirit, you can say the spirit directed me to go to a place where there are prostitutes. And then I fell. Does the spirit direct you to such a place? Let's even assume he does direct you to the place. It is because you have been, you have been groomed enough to be able to withstand the temptation. Remember, the spirit led Christ to the wilderness to the temple. But he's not going to lead you to a place when he knows that you are going to fall. So people say, the Spirit led me to a place and I fell. How can that be? Something else was at work. So it says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. That is, the, the desire of the flesh is contrary to what the Spirit wants you to do. And the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you... Your, 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 your choice is not free from these two forces. So nobody can truly say that I'm doing what I want to do. No. It's the flesh that is either directing you or the Spirit of God is directing you. One of the two. And the flesh is always in cahoot with Satan and his demon. So it is either that or is the Spirit. One of the two. Now, we mentioned fruit, right? Let's go to verse 19. Because it lays the background. It discusses the matter of you walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts or the desires of the flesh. Now, the Bible now says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh, not the use of the word works, effort is required. It's an activity that you do. It's something that you do in your own power. Works of the flesh. What are they? It says they are evident. They are clearly seen. Adultery. And we know the broad definition of adultery. It goes beyond the physical act. It includes the dreaming of it. Adultery, all these things, the including fornication, all these things, they give back to some of these crazy things that people are involved in engaging themselves in. Uncleanness. Uncleanness has to do with things like 
masturbation, things like um, homosexuality, lesbianism, and all those crazy stuff. Then lewdness. Lewdness has to do with the way you dress. Those seductive dressings, that's where lewdness comes from. So do you see what is happening when people say that God is looking at the heart and you have dressed lewdly? Who told you to dress like that? Eh? Who directed you now? The flesh. The spirit of God cannot direct you to dress lewdly. Although I heard the story of a, of a case that it wasn't even lewd. It was just to do makeup. But that you would dress lewdly, expose your body parts, not the spirit of God. And then in verse 20 it goes on to say, idolatry. We know covetousness is part of idolatry. Anything that you love more than God is idolatry. Those are the works of the, the works, the effort that you put into when the, when the carnal man is with you. Sorcery, or witchcraft, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. We're, we're not taking time to look at these things one by one. So I'm just reading them. Most times our ambitions are selfish. It has nothing to do with God. It's about you. We come to church and say, man of God, pray for me. That promotion, I need it. Did you even ask God whether God wants you to get a promotion? You just want it. Because, oh, the pastor is going to give me more money. He's going to give me more. He's going to you need to talk to God. Lord, that's it. It's not every promotion that's a good promotion. So there are many things that we need to be careful of. Sometimes we want to be MD of this company. And God's position is not that company. MD, yes, but another company. And you are striving to be MD of this one company. Meanwhile, they put your name, your, they pencil your name for, for, what do you call it now? Laying off. And you go to church and say, we need to pray. And this is pray for your prayer. You start praying against that. You pray against it. If God loves you, you will pray and pray and pray. They will see sack. Because the place where you are going to be empty is not that place. As they are sacking you, they are, somebody else is coming to headhunt you to the right place where you should be. So we need to understand how this is. But we don't. So in the, in, in the, in the, in the, in the flesh, we, we act differently. Verse 21 talks of envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. I heard the story of two brothers, two Christian brothers. Not blood brothers, but believers. Two believers, brothers, they were enjoying the Lord and having fun and, you know, excited. And Satan decided that he was going to bring enmity between two of them. He knew that envy was in one of them. He knew that pride was in the other. So what did he do? He promoted the one that had pride and left the one that had envy where he was. The one that had pride, what happened to his shoulders? His shoulders went up. The one that had envy, what was happening now? He was envy. That was the end of that friend. Because before, they were prayer partners, firing Satan. So all he had to do, he saw the nature that, you can, the devil can see, he saw the nature in them, that pride was still there in this world. Envy was still in this world. So what did he do? He promoted the one with pride, and he became more prideful. And the one that was not promoted became envious. That was the end of prayer meeting. And Satan had a free will. Do, do, do you see the subtle ways? We think Satan is going to come openly. No! That is why you cannot afford to be bitter against anybody. You cannot afford to allow pride. One iota of this thing must not be in your life. Because Satan is coming for you. Many people have, have ruined their Christian work with these things. It says, and the like, that means the list is not ended. The list is not ended. You are walking in an office, they expect you to dress lewdly so that you can be you can, you can be appealing to customers and they can bring customers. You better tell them to go and get um, mannequins and dress them as they want and put them there. Not you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. This is written in the Bible. And let me tell you for your information, nobody can sack you if God does not allow it. But by now you should know that you, you are not your own. Wherever you are, your station in life, God puts you there. Who caused Joseph to go to prison? Was it Potiphar's wife? No! Potiphar's wife was merely a tool 
to cause Joseph to say no, and then she can lie against Joseph. The ultimate thing was Joseph must go to prison. Why? There was a man he needed to meet in that. That was the only place he could meet that man in prison. Staying in Potiphar's home, he couldn't meet that man there. And even at that, the man did not act immediately. Because it was not yet time. The man forgot. How do you forget such a thing? Many of you get angry. Can you imagine what I did to him and he forgot? I was discussing with David yesterday. I said, when you look at, if you look at what people have done to you, when you show them kindness, you will never do it to somebody else. But it must be your nature to continue to do this. I read one of these social media stories of a man who was trying to rescue a cat that was drowning. And the cat kept scratching him. Every time the man reached his cat, was scratching him. The man kept trying, kept trying, kept until one passerby said, what are you doing? Leave the cat alone. The man was trying to rescue the cat. Turned to this passerby and said, it is the nature of the cat to scratch. It is my nature to rescue the cat. I am not going to stop being who I am because the cat is scratching. Finally, he rescued the cat. What is the point? What is the point we're trying to drive on? Many of us are unable to manifest the divine nature because it just is not there. Do you understand? They say to err is human. To forgive is what? Divine. So why are you not able to forgive? The divine nature is not there. If it was there, you will forgive. Do, do, you, do you understand what we're talking about here? The problem we are having is the nature. The carnal nature is, that is why these things are there. When the carnal nature is there, you are going to perform these works. And they all lead to death. They are all dead works. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But the fruit, do you see the difference now? One is works, the other one is fruit. Have you seen any tree that struggles to produce fruit? There's no tree that struggles to produce fruit. It's a natural process. Get the sap to the branches, let there be sunlight, let there be enough rain and some other things. You will soon see flowers coming out, a, a budding, and then the thing growing. But fruit is the natural process that comes from remaining in Christ, allowing the life of Christ to flow through you, and fruit will appear. Some of us think that we must do something to manifest the fruit. The only thing you need to do is surrender to Christ. Therefore, I say to you, walk in the Spirit. Be yielded to the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to direct you. Submit yourself to the Spirit's control. And this fruit to my life. And says, but the fruit of the Spirit is not fruits. The other one that works. This one is fruit. Each one can be said to be a fruit. But they are all part of one singular fruit. In other words, we cannot say that you have the fruit if one is missing. Let me give you an illustration. If I bring mango to you and the mango has no skin, will you take it from me? If I give you mango and tell you this mango is very beautiful, but there's no seed inside, let me show you. And you cut it. Cut it in pieces and no seed. Will you eat that kind of mango? A proper mango fruit must have skin, must have the flesh, and must have the fruit that you can soak in again. That's a normal mango. So anything else is abnormal. So you cannot say, I have this one, but the other one I don't have. Speaking to people about Christ, you tell them, say, in fact, somebody I spoke to today said to me, he said, I said, so I've told you the goodness of the kingdom of God, how Christ came to die for you, and how by just accepting what he did as your, as, and, and owning it, and receiving him, your life, you now surrender your life to Christ, and God will help you to fight against sin, and you can live a life of righteousness before God. So what do you want to do with it? He said, I need to think about it. I said, okay. I give you some. I said, mm, maybe next week. No, in fact, not next week. Next year, because this year I don't go to Amen. I said, I was not plus. I didn't know 
that when it's towards the end of the year, you don't get born again. That you have to wait for the beginning of the year to do. I didn't know that until that man told me. I said to him, I said, do you understand what I said? He said, yes, you understand, but that he, he, he's sure that it's too late now for him till next year. I said, are you sure you'll be alive by next year? He said, God will keep you. I said, ah, the God that you're denying now. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against this, there is no law. All these things I want, I want, it must be in you. This is the nature of Christ. In manifestation, we begin to see the love of God. Do you know that God loves everybody? Muslim or no Muslim? So, when I hear Christians speak hateful words against Muslims, what are we seeing now? By their fruit you shall... You are seeing carnal people. You are not seeing people who have, who have received the divine nature. This was what was happening. When in, in, in the is it 10th century, the crusaders... They said that they, they are going to Jerusalem and they would want to... Many of them thought that by going to Jerusalem to fight, they would get the favor of God. Works. Some of them went there. They, they Not only did they kill uh, Muslims, they even killed the Jews. They said they are the ones that crucified Jesus Christ. So they felt that by killing the Jews who killed Jesus Christ and the Muslims who are coming to occupy the land of God, that everything would be alright for them. They sought redemption by, by, by the sword. Forgetting what Jesus Christ said, those who live by the sword will surely die. Somebody told me, was asking me the other day when we were talking, we were actually in a, in a, in a LinkedIn chat with one, with one apostle. His position was that America needs to build a wall. So I told him in, in our exchange, I said, it appears you don't understand the true meaning of, of immigration, the place of immigration and the gospel. He said, no, 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 no. Would you allow thieves to come into your compound? And I said to him, if the thieves will get born again that way, so be it, let them come. How else will I say them? Will I go to their den? Can I go to the thieves' den? To say, I don't know them. They come to my house. Fine, sit down and, and get born again. You never can tell. That might be my opportunity to preach to them. So, in that exchange, a few things was, and I told the guy, I said, look, these Syrians that you are fighting against, that you say you don't want them, can you go to Syria and preach the gospel in a time of war like this? You can't. But they come to America, whether they like it or not, they must be able to hear you speak the word of God. They are in the same class with you. The girl has won a hijab. She has told you clearly, I'm a Muslim, by her hijab. Befriend her. One day you guys will discuss life. You can teach them the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you do that in Saudi Arabia? Your head is good. You are afraid to go to Saudi Arabia. You are afraid for them to come to your country. What are you, what are you doing? The Lord, the Lord has created a situation where you can meet with them in, in, a, in a place where they can hear the word without killing you. you say, in our country, Nigeria, many of us don't understand what God has done for Nigeria. That as Nigerians, we can point to our nation as a nation where Muslims and Christians dwell together. What nation in the world is like Nigeria? Tell me. Show me a nation that is like that. We don't understand what we have. Oh, no, we, we must separate from them. What, what? Separate from who? Do you know God's original plan in bringing Nigeria together? You think it was Lord Lugar that brought Nigeria together? No! I hope you know that what, what, what used to be um, the eastern part of Cameroon used to be part of Nigeria. Why did they carve it out? They spoke English. They were British Cameroon. Why did they remove it from Nigeria and kept Nigeria alone the way we are today? We don't understand those things. We had a civil war for three and a half years that killed two million people. We remained a country. Have you seen other countries how, they, how, how nothing is happening in those countries? Except for, is it, is it Rwanda that has changed in a, matter of, in a matter of years, Rwanda has become something else after a civil war. Not even a civil war. Uh, what do you call it now? After, after, after such a one, uh, horrible genocide. We must understand what God is doing. But because the nature of Christ is not in us, do you think we can understand it? Let's take a digression very quickly because we have not finished what we want to discuss here. 
We're still going to verse 25. But let's take a diversion and read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me read from verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. When we talk about what God wants to do in this country, the carnal Christian, which is an aberration by itself, to use that, th- those two words in a sentence or in a phrase, is an aberration. That carnal Christian. There's something wrong there. The carnal man can never understand God's purpose for this nation. The carnal man can never understand God's purpose for immigration. The carnal man cannot understand God's purpose for many things happening in the world. The carnal man can never understand why in a country of Christians and Muslims equally, we have a Muslim president. The carnal man cannot understand. So what do you have these carnal people doing who say they are Christians? They are busy forming up falsehood on social media. They want to Islamize Nigeria. This thing is a plot. From They are the ones using their own carnal mind to determine a plot. Do you think that God does not know what he's doing? You are now wiser than God. Did you put yourself in this country? Were you born, you, you, you determine in heaven that I'm coming to Nigeria. Is that what you determine? If many of us determine where we're born, we will not be born in this country. We're born somewhere else. So there's a lot of carnality in the church of God. And because of this carnality, there are many things that the Spirit of God wants to do and is unable to do. Because remember, what did we say is your own role to bear fruit. Be yielded. The Spirit will do everything. You just be, just submit. You want to go for surgery and you are awake. If they put knife here, what will happen? You say, I beg, doctor, is enough. I will come back next week. Let me go and treat this one first. They have not even opened anything yet. So what do they do? They need to put you to sleep. Before they put you to sleep, they will give you a paper to sign that you permit them to put you to sleep and operate on you. That's what the paper you sign. You sign. And if you are not in a state where you can sign, your next of kin or ward will sign on your behalf. They need your authority to do that. In the same way, the Holy Spirit needs your authority to bring about the nature of Christ in you. For as long as you say no, there's nothing you can do. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 5 now. Verse 24 and 25. And those who are Christ's have done what? Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires or like you said, affections in the, in the old kingdom. So all those desires you had, all those affections, love for something, love for that, they must be cut off. If they are not cut off, you cannot manifest the fruit. So that's what I'm saying. That. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh. Please, what does crucified mean? To what? No, 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 no. I, I, need, I need us to understand this. The reason why I'm asking this question. Some pastors have said that the word crucified is, is not really killing. It is to suppress, to mollify, to put down. But that cannot be true. Remember the illustration I gave you of those two brothers, one with envy, one with pride. They were suppressing, this one was suppressing pride, this one was suppressing envy. When push turned to talk, what happened to pride? It came out. You Suppressing it, it will, come, it will come out one day. Yoruba man has a saying. They say, a man's nature is like smoke. No matter how much you try to hide smoke, it will look for a crack and manifest itself. So in a time when everybody is expecting the best from you, that nature will just rear its head. 
people are disappointed. Because I was following this God. Somebody has said, the way, has, the way this thing is, it seems Christians should be mumu. That is the truth. That is the truth. Husband be mumu. Wife be mumu. Sometimes, me, myself, the nature, the carnal nature raises his head. Especially with my wife. Just, it's after a while you remember, ah, ah, what, what, what is this? You, you try to justify it. But the truth of the matter is, you know in you, there's no justification. You cannot fight for yourself. That's what this nature is about. You remember when Christ was before Pontius Pilate and he, and, and he said to him, that I, Don't you know that I have the power of life and death over you? He said, If my father did not give you the power, you won't have it. That you think I cannot call angels now and they will rescue me. He said, Oh, so you are a king. He said, You said so. You said so. But indeed, yes, I'm a king. But not of this kingdom. It's a different kingdom. What am I trying to say? Do you think God cannot rescue you? Do you think God cannot fight for you? Many of us are fighting battles that we have no business fighting. We are defending things that we have no business defending. We need the nature. I think last week we mentioned that Christ needs to be what? Formed in us. This is the procedure. Those who are Christ, they have what? Crucified. Killed the flesh. If we live in the spirit, let us also what? Walk. How can you say you are living in the spirit but you are not listening to the spirit? You are living in the spirit, you are not controlled by the spirit. You are living in the spirit, you are your own master. What kind of spirit are you living in? Are you living in them? If you are in Christ, then the life of Christ must be be flowing through you. Is that not so? If the life of Christ is flowing through you, then the nature of Christ must manifest in your life. In Colossians 2, we we are told of this procedure in a more graphic manner from 11. Colossians 11 to 15. In him, who is him here now? Christ. In Christ, we were also circumcised with the circumcision made without by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, do you see what circumcision is? Is equated to what? The killing, the cutting off of what? Of the flesh. So, crucifying the flesh and circumcision of the flesh are one and the same procedure. Without hands. So, no pastor can circumcise you. No pastor can crucify your flesh. Only Christ and the Spirit of God can do it. What is required of you is what? Submit. Do you know of any male child that is circumcised that, that can circumcise himself? Only in the days of Abraham was it done. Even when they entered into Jordan, the, those who were born during the wilderness journey and were not circumcised, you know they were circumcised again. Who circumcised them? It was Joshua who was doing the work. No man, that was why the circumcision of Abraham is considered a, a serious thing that he did it himself. Otherwise, nobody. Who, who, when you cut the thing and small pain, you will just leave it. I, I think I've tried. I don't know if you have witnessed. Well, now they've brought in a lot of technology. But in the olden days, when they circumcised a child, you don't know if you have witnessed the circumcision of a, of a male child. The mother will be with it. They will grab that child and let the child be screaming. The man will grab a sharp knife, a sharp blade. Blood everywhere. That child will cry and cry and cry until there's no more energy. The technology has come now, so they have one little rubber, they put their thing, we just fall off from its own. The true circumcision is not an easy so you can't do it on your own. That's the bottom line. So Christ is the one that does it. Because when they want to cut away that nature, say, ah, ah, leave him. You yourself will be merciful to the nature. It's a self Especially maybe you are born again at the age of 30 or 40. You see this, this nature of boisterousness. It serves me a lot. Once I enter into a place, I do it. Everybody will shake. They will do my duty. Christ doesn't want people to do your duty. <laughs> do you understand? He wants them to do his bidding, not by your force. No. Someone will say, ah, 
If to say I be mumu, my husband don't drive me come up for sins. No, I'm not going to grieve for that. That is what Christ wants. He wants you to be mumu so that he wants that your husband to know that except he sanctions it, you can't be driven out of that house. And your husband will try everything. But you will be a godly fear will come upon him. I think I've shared the story of Smith Wigglesworth. He was just a lay, an ordinary church goer. Nothing had happened in his life. But the wife was born again, tongue talking, filled with the Spirit of God. One day she went for a meeting, prayer meeting. Smith was at home. Smith had a room. By 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, he locks his door. The wife came in late, bottom line. And she was knocking. The other said, Sorry, I've locked my door. I'm not coming to you. Cold England. The woman slept outside. Please, if, if, if he was today, what would if the woman calls, Pastor, my husband has locked me out, what would we say? Madam, come and sleep here. Is that what we say? Say, come and sleep here. I want to know what, how many heads he has. If I give me his number. Oga, do you know that, don't you know that your wife came from, for, for ministry work? Come and open that door for him. If I'm your pastor, open the door. We think we can use drag. The wife slept on the, on the first. In the morning, the man opened his door. As he normal, normally opens his door. When he opened the door, the woman got up from where she was lying down in the cold. Greeted him, good morning, went to the kitchen and prepared his breakfast and served him. The man broke down, got born again. Do you know how many people we have prevented from being born again? By our very conduct. This is the point. Remember I said that when he says go, that you go and bear fruit, he's not talking about evangelism. If the nature of God is in you, people will be born again. It's not by talking. Let us see the nature. For you and I, our Jerusalem, he says you will preach when the Spirit of God comes upon you, what will happen? You will be, you'll be witnesses of me where? Your Jerusalem is your house. Let us see the nature between you and your wife first. You and your children. Before we can talk about going out. Inside the confines of the house. And we see that nature. You know that's a challenge. Because they know you. Outside, they don't know you. And later you will see when we talk of the practicals of it. The people who will make that nature to either stay or fall are inside that house. Your husband will annoy you. Your wife will annoy you. That annoyance is either to bring out the true nature or to show that that nature you were manifesting is false. Some people say, well, quite frankly, I can withstand anything if people behave themselves like this. They are supposed to misbehave. Do you understand? To bring out that nature. What, what did Romans chapter 5 verse 3 and 4 say? It says, we, we glory what we rejoice also in tribulation. Because tribulation is good for us. Through tribulation, we develop what? Patience. So as your, as your wife or your husband is needling you and needling you, if you can just listen to the Spirit and follow Him, what happens to you now? Patience is developing. It's developing. After a while, your husband or your wife will get out because they discover that. You know your wife knows, or your husband, they know the button to turn and you will lose your salvation. I hope you know that. The pastor's wife knows which button to turn and the pastor will become a common criminal. They know that. The pastor knows which button to touch and the wife is just an ordinary thing. They know. They say which. In fact, they say which. They know what button to touch. So God puts them together to be touching the buttons. Until one day they will touch the button and it's ineffective. You touch, 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 you touch, 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 touch. This is not spoil. Indeed, it does spoil. Because that nature is dead. Do you, do you get the point we're making here? So do not, do not fight against those things that actually seek to develop that nature. God didn't remove them. He kept them there. You remember Job? Of all the people that you would have expected Job's wife to have also gone, but she remained. To bring out everything else that was in Job. And then brought three friends to show Job who that 
you, you, the flesh has not yet been circumcised. Eventually, Job, when God finally spoke, Job, Job said, I used to hear of you, but now I have seen you. I returned in dust and ashes. I didn't know that. I didn't know you when I was talking. Many of us don't know God. So this is how God, God wants to bring out that little. So there's a circumcision without hands that Christ did. In verse 12, he said, we were buried with him in baptism. To be baptized is to be immersed. So we were in Christ, and so we were what? In, when he was buried, we were buried along with him. In which you also were raised with him. So when he was raised, what happened? You were raised. Through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So when you became born again, you died and you resurrected. Your flesh died and you became a spiritual being. Now, if you have not died that death yet, you cannot be a spiritual being. So for as long as we are not dead yet, the nature of Christ cannot be formed. In verse 13. And you being dead in your trespasses. Now, your death yet in all your sins died. And the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. I don't know how we can preach salvation without preaching forgiveness. Or how we can preach forgiveness, or, 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 or salvation rather, without preaching repentance, confession of sin, a turning away from sin. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. All those, you see, because you are a sinner, every action of sin is against you. So when Christ died on the cross, all the actions of sin against you, he nailed to the cross and took it away. And because you are in him. Now, you remember in the Old Testament, when they want to sacrifice the animal, what do they do? They place their hands on top of the animal. When they place their hands, what happens? The animal takes away their sins. The sins, their sins are on top of that animal, and so they can justifiably kill the animal. Someone has died, something has died for sin. The blood is accepted, the animal is accepted, the sacrifice and faith, you are now without sin for one year. Now, when Christ died, many of us were not born then, is that not so? Now, when we hear the gospel preach that Christ died for us, our acceptance that Christ died for us is the same thing as placing our hands on Christ. Because he died once and for all, our sins we have now dumped on top of him. So he has taken away our sins. He didn't cover it. He took it away. The first thing he did was to take away our sins. The second thing he did was to now empower us so that we no longer sin. That empowerment is that nature. Which the Holy Spirit must now groom in us if we are yielded. And the nature begins to grow and grow and grow and grow and get better and better and better and better. Just like you have any, any fruit. You have a tiny thing that it must grow until it goes to maturity and then it ripens. Then it is plucked. Which is why Hebrews 6, 1 says that we need to grow onto, mature, onto perfection or maturity. For some of us, the fruit is still tiny. But remember, because it's tiny, it doesn't mean that we are not bearing fruit. It's still tiny. Now, we need to grow. Now, if you are bearing, you know there are some, there are some mango trees I see. They have tiny, if you go under the mango tree after some time, you see small, small things that were not able to grow. They fell down. Many of us are frustrated about the fruit that God is already bringing in us. Because we think it is our action. It's not our act. It is our surrender. The more you surrender, the more the fruit blesses. That is why sometimes this divine nature is also described as brokenness. That God must break you apart. Then put you together and then the nature of God comes. So it says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having the same principles and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. You see all those principles and powers that were disturbing you? Eh? 
When Christ finished with them, you need to watch Roman films. You know, when, when in Roman films, when the, when the general or the commander is coming, they have a procession. They will, they will lead him in a carriage, and then behind the carriage, you will see all his enemies. That is a representation of his enemies. Usually the king, the prime minister, and some powerful slaves, they are all tied, and they follow him in the procession. When Christ finished with sin in your life, the things that were causing that sin, the tithe, every angel in heaven saw that the principality that was causing uh, hypertension and high blood pressure in your family was there. The principality that caused barrenness in your family it was there. The one that did not allow heads to it was there. Everybody saw it. It was clear. So the angels are wondering because they saw what Christ did. And they are wondering why we have to go to native doctors and false prophets for another deliverance when we were delivered already. He made an open show. So you have no business even carrying those old nature. He said, ah, you know, that is how it is in our family. What family? Is that your family? You no longer belong to that biological family. You belong to the family of God. And that's what we did best for our family. We carry knife, kill person. Not a child of God. You know they carry knife, kill nobody. Your, the Bible says, mark the end of that righteous man. His end is what? Peace. So this is what we are asking the disciples to display. Do you understand? This nature. If this nature is there, they will be like Christ 100%. They may not be perfect, but at least you can see Christ formed in them. First John chapter 3, from verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits what? Lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. When you see a man driving against traffic, what have you seen? A lawless man. So what have you seen therefore? A sinner. So it is not expected. Do you understand that now? It's not expected that a Christian will be, will be driving against traffic. Or will be breaking the law of the land that is in. Except that law expressly contradicts God. Let's pause here. Let's go to Romans 13. Because I've discovered that Christians today, we need to show them a lot of things. Romans 13. I read from verse 1. Let every soul. How many souls now? Whether you are born again or not. But we know Romans was written to Christians. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. I think some translations say civil authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Buhari cannot be president if God did not sanction. Do you understand that? All those military coups, they couldn't have succeeded if God did not sanction. And the authorities that exist are what? They are what? They are what? By whom? You may say you voted. That is God that appointed it. In verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority does what? Resist what? The ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. Brethren, when Sane Abacha considered the most brutal of heads of state we had in this country, when he was in power, God, gave, God showed me this picture. Be subject to them. Even Senator Abacha cannot prove it. You are subject to them. Except it is breaking, the, it is a direct breaking of the law of God. Then you let them know that if they kill you, don't worry, God is in control. I read a book on spiritual authority by Watchman Nee. Maybe you need to go and look for that book, Spiritual Authority. It's a very dangerous book to read. I read it and it sobered me up. It said, authority, there are two arms of authority. Submission and subjection. Sorry, obedience and subjection. It said, obedience is relative. Subjection is action. What does that mean? It means you must submit to the authority, but you don't have to obey the authority. Now, when you don't obey, you must submit to the consequence of your act of disobedience. Do you understand? You cannot, for example, they say, worship God five times. 
You say no. The Bible does not tell me to worship God five times. I won't worship God five times. Then they arrest you for not worshiping God five times. You cannot say, God, deliver me. Deliver. No, 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 no. Submit yourself to them. God is going to save himself. Strong. That was the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. Remember when they told Shadrach to buy down? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said they should bow down. They said they are not going to. Okay, we are not careful to answer you on this matter. We are not going to buy down. The God that we serve will deliver us. Let's assume he doesn't deliver us. By choice, we are not going to bow to this house. The king was furious. Put it, increase the thing. Put them inside the fire. They walked into the fire. What did the king saw? Uh, what did the king see? He saw the partner. All the things they used in tying them loose. But the fire did not touch their clothes, did not touch their hair, and they came out. And the smell of fire was not on their body. Instantly, Nebuchadnezzar issued a decree that they should worship God. But you can't worship God by decree. In Daniel's case, they said nobody should pray except to the king. Daniel prayed. And they grabbed Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. God kept the mouth of the lion's den. Did Daniel disobey the civil authority? Did he say, don't you know me? I'm a child of God. You can't touch me. Did he say that? He submitted himself. So we must understand that. Even the word, this thing was written, this letter was written while Nero, considered one of the most brutal emperors, was the, 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 the emperor in Rome. And he said they should submit to, uh, to, to Nero. Verse 4. For he is God's minister. Can you imagine? He's God's minister to you for good. <laughs> Brethren, your nature, the nature of God is going to be drawn out by civil authorities. So do you, do you get where we're going to now? The reason why the church in many countries is the way they are is because the nature of Christ is yet to be formed. That's why churches can carry placards. Christians can be saying they are going to carry guns. They don't, we don't carry anything. We have a weapon. What's our weapon? Prayer. The word. The name of Christ. So many other things that are weapon. The weapon of our work. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Civil authorities are good. So when people, for example, are arguing what, what right has DSS got to enter judges, he is their civil authorities. The judges are subject to them. God put them there. The fact that it's not been done before does not mean that it is wrong. At least today, the, the, the ordinary man on the street can beat his thumb that says that when I go to court, I will get justice. It's not going to be stolen away from me by a richer person. Verse 5. Therefore, you must be what? Please read it again. You must be what? I want to hear it aloud. You must be what? Not only because of wrath, but also for what? Conscience's sake. For the sake of your conscience as a believer, be subject to the authority. The Bible does not expect you to call your, your president names or call your governor names. Because he is God's minister. Whether he was there fraudulently or not, God permitted it. One thing that we don't understand is this. God hates a state of anarchy. He would rather have a bad leader than no leader. You must understand that. The day God was going to discipline his, uh, Judah, who did he use? Nebuchadnezzar. An evil king for that purpose. Eventually, God himself disciplined Nebuchadnezzar. I, I want to believe from all that we read that we might just see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. We just might see him. In verse 6 of Romans 13, it says, For because of this, you also pay what? Taxes. Pay your taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Have you seen where it is now? You are supposed to pay taxes to the civil authority. You are supposed to pay tithes in the church. Because you have God's ministers in the church. You have God's ministers in the, in the, in the world. So pay whatever you need to pay. Look at verse 7. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Is that in your Bible? So do you, do you, do you understand what it means therefore? That lawlessness is sin. You can't say, well, uh, 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 
Is it not a human government? No. Your action is lawless because you have contravened the authority that God put over that country. Even your office over that office. That's why we tell believers. Tell them in your office, we have church on this day. Can I leave early? I'm ready to kill myself on other days. Tell them. They are God's ministers. Let him go and sleep after saying no. He will come back the next day and say, you know what I told you no, you can go. Is it not God? You see, you can't speak to them. The people that are most difficult for God to speak to and listen are Christians, not the unbelievers. They have like one small twisting of their lives. They are, they are, they are doing what God said to do. But the Christian, is, he will tell God, I know the Bible. So let's go back to First John chapter 3 now, verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him, remember what he said in John 15, abide in me. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Is that in your Bible? As long as you have remained in Christ, you cannot sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. That is intimately. We are not talking of head knowledge now. Intimate knowledge of God. Verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is what? Just as he is... Who is the he there now? Christ. Verse 3 and verse 8. He who sins is what? Of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So why are we still engaging in the works of the devil? They were destroyed. It is because the nature of the flesh is still there. Do you understand? And it can easily be manipulated to do the bidding of Satan. Even though his works were destroyed when Christ died on the cross. In verse 9, it says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him. What is that seed that remains in him? The Spirit of God remains in him. So he can't sin. If indeed the Spirit of God is in a man's life, you cannot sin. Because you will submit yourself to the, to the ordinance of the Spirit. To the direction of the Spirit. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. That is the nature now. Remember what I, the lesson I used of goat and lion. No matter how much, how many years you allow the goat to live with lions, he cannot kill one animal. He doesn't have the teeth. He doesn't have the heart to, to run the kind of race that lions can run. He can't. He doesn't have the nature of lions. I used an illustration with somebody. I said if you put a lion and a goat here, on a field, and you put an, a wild animal, what, what do you think the lion, let's assume the lion is not going to eat the goat. What do you think the goat will do? The goat will be eating the grass while the lion is pursuing the, the, the animal. So if you're a Christian, there are some things that are expected of you. Sin should never be mentioned near you that you are doing it. In fact, I think there's a translation that says that it does not make a practice of sin. So some people try to explain it this way that we're not saying that you won't fall into sin. That you cannot swim in it. Can you imagine the person who steps on poo-poo? What's the person he does? He's looking for a place where he can clean it. That's how it happens. If accidentally you sin. The first thing you're looking for is how to be cleansed of that sin. Which is done by appropriating the blood of Jesus through confession to your life. And you are, you are open. But for you to step on poo-poo and you're walking as if the smell is following you and you're happy. There's some, it, it cannot be that you have the nature of God. That is what is being said here. Because you are born of God. In verse 10 it says, In this, this is how the children of God and children of devil are manifest. This is how we know them. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. I think, that there, is there any long thing to, to say there? Nor is he who does not love his brother. 
If the divine nature is in you, when the cure has taken place, you will love all men. Not without talk of your own blood. I, I, I gave somebody an illustration. Let's assume you are from, um, let's say there's a town called Ijapo. I don't even know if there's a town like that. Let's assume there's a town called Ijapo that is not on any map. You are in Russia. You enter into a, a group. A group. There are some Nigerians and some Ghanaians and Africans in the place. They are all blacks. Then you are, you are meeting people and then you meet a guy. Sir, your name, your face, your name sounds familiar. Where are you from? Say, so I'm from Ijapo. What happens? Instantly, that's your brother from the same. You don't know him, but you are from the same place. You embrace him. Ah, my brother. Ah, how are you? You mean you mean from? You are, from, you are excited. Is that not so? That is how it is with a Christian. Why do you divide yourself based on denomination, based on name of church? Yeah, Christian. Yeah, Christian. God did not create Christians like American Christians, Nigerian Christians, Russian Christians, Igbo Christians, Yoruba Christians. There's nothing like that. A Christian is a Christian. God has a nation today. It is called the nation of God. That's the church. Everybody who is in that nation is that we are brothers and sisters. There's no enmity in the church. There shouldn't be. We live by a different code. A standard that the world can never understand. Mark chapter 7. Now, I, I want to try and rush as much as we can. We've actually discussed a lot of this at the, in, in the early stages. Mark chapter 7, we just use some scriptures now to reinforce what had been said from verse 18 to 23. So he said, that Jesus said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart? What is the heart now? His nature. He said, whatever you eat can't defile you ceremonially, cannot make you unholy. Because it does not enter into your being. It goes through the, the digestive tracts and comes out. But his stomach and his eliminated dust purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles him? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a, a man. It is out of that man that these things came out. So if we don't want these things to come out from the man, what must we do? I'm asking now. We must crucify the flesh. We must remove that thing. If the thing is not there, can these things come out? So look for the, the culprit. The culprit is that nature inside that is producing these things. Get it out. Oh yeah? Come go and commit adultery. He cannot. If you have a man who has died and you lie him down here, he's dead. You just take a cloth to cover him. You remove everything. He's naked. He's taking a cloth to cover him. And his old girlfriends march into the place. I say, whoa. He was such a good man. He was wonderful. You know, using their lewd remarks. Let's assume they all strip naked. I said, we have to wake him up today. And they strip naked. Will he get up? Will any part of his body move? Why? That is the point. If indeed we are dead to sin, that girl, she made me fall, cannot happen. Do you understand? Because the thing that made you fall had died. But if that thing is still there, you will fall. This is the crucial aspect about removing that nature. We continue to sin because the nature of sin is in us. The word sin I've said to you is both a noun and a verb. It's the action of sinning and in a sense of a noun is the man who is committing sin. So when a man is said to be a sinner because he's committing sin perpetually, is constantly committing sin. If you are a Christian, you do not come, you can fall into the error of sin. 
But once I want to fall into the Holy Spirit, you quickly let that was a sinful conduct. What do you do? You quickly go to God, plead the blood of Jesus, you are cleansed. And then he can give you other instructions like apologize, do this or do that, and turn it good or whatever. He does all of that. But for you to fall into sin and be swimming and living in it and enjoying it, you cannot be a Christian. Do you understand that now? So for somebody to be covetous continually is not a Christian. Because the nature of sin is very... That is the ultimate thing when you get to heaven. What nature was in him? That was why in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, Proverbs 4, verse 23, the Bible says, Guard your heart with all what? For out of it spring what? The issues of life. Protect your heart. That was in the Old Testament days. Because that was how they understood it. In our own day, what do we say? Kill the flesh. Put off the old man. Crucify the flesh. That's what we would say. That's what this thing means. For out of that flesh are the issues that lead to death in this life. A man commits, a man takes bribe. He says, ah, you know the reason why I took bribe, pastor? It's <laughs> because of this Buhari government too. It's a lie. Do you understand that? It's a big fat lie. It was in his nature to commit. It's just that the opportunity did not occur. A young man was living normal. Then they sent him to a school, a girl's school, to teach. And before long, he's impregnating girls. Was it the girl's school that caused him to be doing that? No. All the girl's school did was to draw out the issues of life that were hidden in him, that were suppressed by him. Do you understand? That's all he did. A young girl is looking for a job. She has tried to be decent. She wasn't getting jobs. But she has seen some of her friends who are lewd in their dressing, who are getting jobs. So she decides to dress in a lewd manner to go and get the job. What made her to dress lewd? Was it really the looking for a job or the nature in her? It was the nature in her. Because if she had the nature of God, she cannot even consider such a dress. Do you understand? That's why we say that when a man is born again, not only has sin been removed from you, but you are supposed to hate sin. There's only one nature that can hate, that hates sin. is the divine nature. The nature of any man can, the nature of man likes sin. He doesn't hate sin. He grew up with sin. Do you understand? He lived in sin all his life. That's all he knew. Only the divine nature can hate sin. So when you are born again, God puts that nature to hate sin. When a man therefore is unwilling to continue to hate sin, what has he done? He has thrown away the divine nature and has called back the sinful nature. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Do you see where God is focusing attention? Where is he focusing attention? Inward. Where are we focusing attention? Outward. We are looking at his clothing. God is looking at his heart. Do, do you understand? That's why many wolves are cheating us. Because we are looking at what he's putting on. Not what is in him. What is his nature. Verse 17. You will know them by their fruits. Remember I said we are going to discuss this. This is the issue here. How many of us inspect fruit? How do you go to a church? You don't know the man from anywhere. You say lay hands on me. You must inspect his fruit. That, that, that's why there must be relationship between the disciple, the person being discipled and the disciple. You must be able to observe what he, how he's living his life. Before you start talking of lay hands on me, do this or do that. No. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Do you expect a pastor who has divorced his wife to preach Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 to 9? Do you understand? He says he's a very good man of God. Where is his wife? Where, is his, where are his children? How does he behave himself? Verse 17. Even so, 
Every good tree bears good, but a bad tree bears bad. There is no question about it. The fruit is the issue. You cannot tell the difference between two trees until they start bearing fruit. We can't tell much about a Christian until he starts talking, until he starts acting. I'm sure you've heard this saying, eyes full of adultery. There are some men and women like that, their eyes are full of adults. They can't sit in a place, their eyes are darting all over. Men and women are like, eyes are darting all over. But put them on a pulpit, the voice, even you'll be envious. That that is a voice of a, of a man of God, of a woman of God. The adult, eyes full of adults. All that mama, mama, they've seen somebody that they want the person to say, that's a man of God. They are going for that person as soon as they leave the house by their foot. How can a pastor, your pastor, tell you, come and kiss that on the lips? Sit on daddy's laps. Which, which kind, your, the, which that? In fact, I will go, do as if I want to kiss daddy. The slap he will receive. He won't be able to tell anybody that I slapped. And if, 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 if that girl were my daughter, I will coach her on punching. I say, no, please make sure a tooth comes out of the mouth. Let him say, they removed my tooth. Who removed this girl? What did you do? That the girl removed your tooth. Explain yourself. Even so, every good tree bears for good fruit, but the bad fruit in verse, verse 18. A good tree, not that too, a good tree cannot what? Bear bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is what? Cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know. Can I ask this question? When that branch is attached to the true vine, can it produce bad fruit? It cannot. Why? Because the life of the vine is passing through it. So if a branch is producing bad fruit, it came from the tree. If Christ is the true vine, Satan is the bad vine. So, and don't forget, you are all branches. So a branch that is producing bad fruit is attached to Satan, not to Christ. And if he claims that it was attached to Christ, then we must un- 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 remove it and really scrape it. It means the vine was not entering. The process is to now scrape it, remove all the gum that has come, and reintroduce it. Not to that same place. To another institution must be created. That's why it says, we are crucifying Christ what? A second time. Another institution must be created to attach that person back to the vine. You think, do you think they have time for that? It is time for us as Christians to be fruit inspectors. Don't let anybody fool you and tell you all kinds of stories. You see this thing called preaching or teaching. Anybody can preach. Just go to social media. People say things they don't know of. They talk about it. Whether it is Bible or not Bible, they talk any rubbish there. So any fool can pick the Bible and say it's preaching. It is by their fruit that we know them. It's not by their leaves. Oh, he's a good preacher. That leaves. His church is full. Leaves. When he prays like this, the whole place is shaking. Leaves. That brother cleans the church. Leaves. Are leaves bad by themselves? No. The problem is when we have only leaves, no fruit. That was the problem with the fig tree. If the fig tree had fruit, will Christ cause it? It was because there was no fruit. Let us see some fruit at least. You remember the, the, the husband man, or the, rather the, the owner of the vine, who went to see the gardener, the husband man. I said, I brought this tree and planted it in the middle of my vine. For three years, I've been coming now. Coming, looking for what? Looking for what? That's what he's looking for. He didn't come there looking for leaves. This thing had leaves. You remember what John the Baptist said? He said, don't say, don't say that you are children of Abraham. God can raise these very stones to be singing. So singing in the choir is, is nothing. All those people who are carrying music band everywhere, we need to ask, where is the fruit? If there was fruit, you will sit in the church and know that that song is to God. 
that they are going to cut CD, they are going to cut this. Where is God in all of that? There's no, there's no place for it. It is, the, it is the, the, what do you call it now? The nature of fame that drove you to do it. God did not tell you to do that. Oh, God told me to make the with God. God told you to make album. They could have been making album in Israel since. Did David cut any album? Matthew 12, 33 to 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. We cannot tell who is being led by the Spirit of God until we see the fruit. And when we see a bad fruit, we can tell the brother, allow God to remove you from that tree and put you in this tree. You know what will happen? The first thing that will happen is that all those bad fruits will be removed. All those horrible thorns will go away. Because a fresh life is coming in. Behold, all things have become new. Then they can start producing good fruit. Brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? What's this saying? What was he addressing, being evil? Their nature. That's why I call them brood of vipers. Your nature is that of a snake. And you are many, you are in a brood. How can you, when you are evil, how can you speak good? For out of the abundance of what? The heart. What happens? The mouth speaks. The mouth speaks. Oh, God is not interested in how I look. God is not in my heart. Out of the abundance of the heart. That's what we are saying. So, you say God is not interested in your looks. No problem. Let's look at the heart. All we, how do we know the heart? Look at, look at what we are saying. That's the fruit. The fruit is the nature. That's the nature that we see. I look at some women who say they are ministers of God. I see prostitutes. That's all I see. Jezebel, was a, Jezebel of, of Revelation was a preacher. But what, what was she preaching? Her message was causing men of God to commit fornication and adultery. What are you preaching? Is it making people to stand in the place of God? In Jeremiah 23, when you get home, read it. I don't want to read it here. God said, these people did not, did not hear from me, yet they ran. He said, had they stood in my counsel, they would have turned men to me. If, if indeed these people are preaching the word of God, many would have turned to God. But by their fruit, you will know them. They are not preaching anybody anything. I met so many people today. Where are you going to? They mentioned, kept mentioning one church in order. One church. I, said, I told him, I said, there is a problem with this, your church. I heard so many people say they go to that church and yet I meet them playing football. I meet them on the road on when they should be in church. They are not there. And when you even ask them, are you born again? They say, yes. How, tell me your testimony. They have no testimony. They don't even know what it means to be born again. Why do you want to put such a thing on your head, a pastor? Why do you want to gather so many people that you don't even know what's happening in their lives and yet God is going to ask you about them? Many of us don't know those things. As we are enjoying, oh, we are many, we are this, we are that. Wait until God starts asking you about somebody. Say, uh, uh, how can you be asking me? I don't know. But, but you counted him. He's in your count sheet. Did you not count him? When you were, said, when you, when you were telling the world that you had the 100,000 in your church, was he not included in the figure? He was. So please tell me something about him. You can't tell him. Verse 35. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart. How does, the, how does the Bible describe what is in your heart now? A treasure. Something valuable. A storehouse. Out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil world, treasure is also a treasure. He did not want the evil to live. That's why he treasured it and kept it. Brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Let that verse ring loud in your ears. Many of us like to talk idle words. God is going to ask us about it. I always want people, don't say, say no, I'm just saying, don't say it. 
Because I know God is going to judge you one day. You are going to give a reason why you said that thing. Verse 37. For by words, what will happen? You will be justified. And by words, you will be what? Now, where did those words come out from? The treasure of the heart. So what is God's procedure for dealing with this issue? Change the heart. The true meaning of repentance is the change of But the change of heart does not take place until God is involved. But it is initiated by your willingness to change. Do you understand? If you are willing, the Bible says, if there first be a willingness, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Another part says, if there first be a willingness, it is accepted by God. So when a man is willing to change, God now comes to, because you cannot change, God now comes to help him to make that change. And suddenly he discovers that the things that he used to like, he doesn't like them anymore. The day you get to that place, where the things that you love, you no longer love them, you know that the change has finally changed. You discover that many things that you used to like, they'll be begging you, I'm not interested. Sometimes they're watching some things on TV, I just, I walk away. Because they, they, they annoy me. They, 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 how do I call it? They stain on my spirit now. That's how you know that these things, God is doing a work in your life. Honestly, God, that change cannot happen in your life and you watch some programs on TV. You can't. No matter how exciting it is. That change cannot be in your life and they are saying some things. It will be as if somebody said something that is, that is deafening to your ears. Even I don't want to hear that thing. That change cannot take place in your life and you are spewing lies on social media. This is when I read things on social media. The first thing I do is I Google that thing. I want to be sure whether it is the correct story or not. Usually when you Google, you will know. If you see Niger.com, this.com, throw it away. Look for Guardian. You are sure that Guardian is not trying to sell newspaper. They are trying to sell a story. That Vanguard, Punch, I make bold to say, call those names. Let them go and carry me to any court. I make bold. Those ones, they just want to sell paper. They don't want to sell stories. They are looking for, they, they, they want to just, just sell the thing and make some money. Google these things out, you will be shocked. Some Christians write rubbish. You don't want, did you not read the Bible? Like one story today that my wife was telling me, a, a, a pastor posted something on his page, and a young lady wrote to the, was writing to the pastor on his page. He said, you, that your smile looks rubbish. How does a pastor's smile look rubbish? And a girl is right on Facebook. So it's either she doesn't know the meaning of rubbish, or she's setting a trap for the fellow, and the fellow doesn't understand. Go and read Proverbs. Proverbs says that the man who is flattering you is setting a trap for your feet. It says flattery. Walk at what ruins. Don't you destroy your life. So the bottom line is that God has put in place a procedure for dealing with this matter. All that you need is go to the operating table and like that. And leave God to do the rest. And if the operation is successful, in a matter of time you will see some things that you like, you will no longer like. Some things that when they wake you up, you, know, oh, you will get up and begin, to, and begin to pray. I read a story of a young man who, what did they change in him? Was this his heart or his liver? They changed his liver. They brought liver from somebody else and removed his own liver and put that fellow's liver. And after the operation, the boy that couldn't stand peppery food, that was what he was looking for. Hot peppery food. Hot this. So after a while, they normally they don't like you to know the donor. The guy said, no, he wants to know who donated, whose, kid, whose liver he used. So they now finally, after pleading and explaining, they finally led him to the family of the boy. So he said to them that he wants to thank them for the, what the son donated to him, but he wants to find out a little bit more about the boy. The first thing they mentioned is that he loves hot food. By taking a liver, what has happened? His nature changed. His taste changed. That's a physical thing. We are speaking of the spiritual. Brethren, the spiritual is stronger than you can understand it. If you will just submit to God and lie, there's nothing you can do about it. Look, you have tried. Let me, let, let's be sincere with ourselves. We have tried it. Have we not tried it? Your husband talked to you anyhow. You tried to keep quiet. Were you able to succeed in it? Bah! 
You try, 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 try. After all, look, 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 man. I'll be keeping quiet for this long. No more. You want to, you want to treat me like because you think I'm a child of God, Abby. I will show you that children of God too can speak, and then you reel up. What have you, what have you reeled up? You have reeled up a stockpile. You did not overlook it. You did not forgive it. You were storing the thing and storing it until the container became full and you couldn't contain it anymore. What happened? Bwah! You exploded. But if indeed that change has taken place, you are not storing anything that you didn't need. They will ask you some things. You will say, I can't even remember. Why? Because you are not keeping account of it. You remember the other day, you abused me. I said, no, I didn't abuse you like that. So, ah, you abused me, abused me. I'm sorry if I did it, but I can't remember. Because you have asked for forgiveness. Because maybe what you didn't do was to go and apologize. And then some of us, sometimes they've apologized. <laughs> That's what we say. Let me tell you. You apologize. I will tell you why I'm not going to accept this apology. Number one, number two, number three, number after the by the time you are getting number thirty, the man is sitting and say, "Waiting, make me come apologize." Praise the name of the Lord. Brethren, the essence of this is so that we can become Christians, so that we can be said to be disciples of God, like that man who changed liver and his taste changed. We must change the nature, and our taste will change. That's our heads. I'd like you to talk to God and ask Him to change your nature. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, through the cross where Thou hast died. Brother, you know, when you get to that cross, when you are there, you know that sin, the, the, the sin hates the cross. It cannot survive. The, the cross kills sin. That's why we, this song, this, this chorus is crucial. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to Thy presence. Stephen prayed. 
today do not account, do not count it against them, Lord. Then forgive them. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look on with a steadfast hope, and my will
will help you to live as Christ is. Remember, it was the Spirit of God in Christ that enabled him to live as the Father wanted him to live. We must have the Spirit in us. Many of us crave the Spirit of God that we ought to have the Spirit in us to produce the fruit, the nature of Christ in us. Then men can come to Christ and remain. Oh, Father, help us. Blessed be your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. God bless you.